said to be back to the Red Lands. Melita and I attended here a number of times during 2000 uh, when we moved back to Montgomery from uh, Dothan. And uh, we came here and spent some time with Bryce and Diane and in and out before we went to Columbus. Uh, I don't, Melita may correct me on this, but I, we, we were thinking that this was built after we were here. It, it was. It was, okay. <laughs> so y'all got a beautiful facility here and commend you for that. It's great uh, to be here. It's a joy to be here. There's a number of Howland Avenue folks here uh, today, and I'm grateful that they're here. Hamp was the chairman of the Pastor Search Committee. Uh, he probably, some people might want to shoot him for that, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, they had called us to uh, Montgomery. We were minding our own business in Birmingham, and uh, a committee from Highland Avenue called us. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you ever knew this, Hamp, but when I left Westmont, the, uh, the gentleman that recommended me there, whose, whose son was on the pastor search committee, called me to Birmingham. Uh, his father followed me pastoring up there, and he told me, he says, if you ever tell anybody that I recommended you to Highland Avenue, he said, I'll kill you, because <laughs> his son uh, was on that pastor church committee called me there, but Hamp, his family, his wife, Sharon, a number of folks here today from Highland Avenue, we do appreciate the opportunity to be here, um, and uh, I do preach long, Bryce has never forgotten that, uh, and uh, he can't say anything. But I'm convinced that, uh, and just be very honest about it, I'm convinced that most churches that have called me to uh, pastor did that because of my wife, not because of my preaching ability. <laughs> uh, Melita's a great musician, and we did begin our journey together at Clark College in 1973. Melita was already, a, uh, when I went there, she was a sophomore studying organ and piano, and uh, um, matter of fact, just a, just a year prior to that, uh, I was a senior at high school at Beauregard, uh, and that's in Lee County. Some of you may not know this. I need to correct something because there's a lot of wrong thinking today. Auburn and Opelika are suburbs of Beauregard. <laughs> just so you all know that. All you Auburn fans need to realize that Beauregard puts you on the map. And, uh, but uh, no, seriously, I grew up in a small little community, and uh, my pastor, mother, and father, we all went to Clark College. Uh, I was looking, trying to decide where I was going to go to school, and uh, we got over there, and Melita was on the piano playing for the college choir, the C's, I think, was it the C's? Yeah. And all she had was long red hair, and all I could see was her back, and her long red hair, she was on a black grand piano playing. And uh, as she was playing, my pastor punched me, Brother Robert. I, I love the man, had a profound influence on my life, but he punched me and he said, Billy, every Baptist preacher needs a good pianist. <laughs> I said, Brother Robert, I said, I don't even know the girl. Who in the world? And I, you know, I left there and never thought about Melita again. I really didn't. And uh, ended up there in August of 73 in college. And uh, while they were having a greeting for the new freshman, of which I was one. And Bryce, were you there at that time? Now, you went to Clark, though, didn't you? Yeah. 
And then we ended up crossing paths at Criswell in Dallas, Texas. But uh, Melita was a sophomore and I was a freshman. They were having a greeting thing for seniors, I mean for freshmen. And, uh, and that's where I first met Melita. And, you know, what can I say? Uh, history's history. Uh, we've been married <laughs> over 48 years, nearly, nearly 49 years, and it's been a real delight. Uh, she's the love of my life, and uh, grateful for her. And I just love seeing these Highland Avenue folks. I want y'all to know I love y'all. Love y'all. Love you, Pat. Family, Cindy. Bruce and Cindy. Just love you. I've often said if I, uh, I'm going to die one day, I know. But when I do, if the Lord is still tarrying, and he will be, but if things are still going on on earth, I've often said, not that I believe in reincarnation, but the Lord said, Bill, I'm going to send you back. I'd say, Lord, please let me be a Baptist preacher again. I hadn't been the best, I'll be honest with you. I'm not a great preacher, but I do love God's people. And it's been a joy being a pastor for 48 years and uh, shepherding God's people and loving them and walking through joys and sorrows, uh, getting to know God's people and watching them deal with life and, and uh, just, just love Jesus and love each other. And I don't know of any place I'd rather be besides heaven than in a church, part of a community of faith. We're not perfect people. We're imperfect. But uh, we're on a journey together because of God's grace. and um, He's been good to us. And I don't know of anything I'd want to do and be in place and be a part of a family of faith uh, like Redland Baptist Church and the churches that we've had the privilege of pastoring through the years. It's been great. Things are changing. But uh, we're just getting closer to home. I'm ready to go home. And I understand why Peter referred to us as pilgrims more than ever. We're just passing through. We really are. I love life, love my family, love my grandchildren, love God's people. But I'll be honest with you, the more I get to know the Lord, the more I walk with him, the more I'm looking forward to going home, gathering around the throne of grace, and there for the ages, be able to celebrate, worship his goodness, the Lord's grace. God is good. Well, back several months ago, Bryce uh, asked us to come over, and he gave me and shared with me the theme that y'all are going to be focusing on, I think, in 2024. Yeah, two years. Two years. Called the Family Living in the Light of Eternity. And he gave me a verse, John chapter 1, verse 4. And uh, we're going to focus this morning our time on that verse, uh, sp spend some time looking at it together. But if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to John's Gospel, um, I'm going to do a little introductory thing and then just sort of close out with some significant thoughts or thoughts that might challenge you and challenge us as we think about the family living in the light of eternity. 
And you know, as you think about the family, you could be thinking about your family. Uh, the Davis family, the Russell family, the Faulkner family, the Cox family. Or you could be thinking about the Redland family. You could take that family and just sort of look at it in some different ways. And I think of all of that's important. Your individual family is precious and valuable to you. But your family of faith also is equally important uh, as you in our journey in this life and walk with the Lord. I want to do justice to verse 4 by reading the three verses prior to that. Then I want to pray for us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And John says the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He, personal pronoun there, no doubt referring to the Word, but also referring to who the Word is. And, of course, John is writing about Jesus. We'll see that in a moment. All things, not some things, but all things, were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And then the verse, in Him, in Jesus, the Logos, the Word, in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. Heavenly Father, thank you for the grace that you have poured out upon us measure upon measure upon measure. You are a good father, a faithful father, a loving father, a kind father, a father that knows everything about us today that there is known or will ever be known. And we're grateful because of the father that you are that you have promised in your word that you will do only that which is for our good and for your glory. Regardless of what we walk through in this life, we're grateful that Paul reminds us that all things are working together for good to those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. And so, Father, this morning, may your Holy Spirit take the precious word of God and with all of my frailties and my inadequacies, may you, Lord, take your precious word and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and to challenge us, to help us live life each day in light of eternity. Lord, help us not to be consumed with the moment, but to live for eternity. Guard our hearts. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John's gospel theme, uh, as we discover in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, is really the theme, the goal, and the purpose of this gospel. 21 chapters written by the beloved, one that knew Jesus intimately, walked with him personally, observed him in many events of life. And yet, when John penned this gospel, unique and different from Matthew, Mark, Luke, he had a very specific and yet very narrow focus in mind. And so he said in his closing words in John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. And he's referring to the gospel of John. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That succinctly tells us the purpose of the gospel of John. And so what John does, though he penned that sort of purpose of this gospel, if you go back and start in chapter 2, you'll discover, some say seven, some eight, semions or miracles or signs that he observed, he looked at. He watched. As a matter of fact, uh, he later would say this, which I can't help but believe that John is thinking about that. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we've seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father is manifested to us. John writes in that small epistle in the opening verses those words, which to me just speaks loudly about what he had already written. That Jesus wrote those signs or performed those miracles and John writes about those so that you and I would believe in his name, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so from the time that Jesus turned the water to wine, to healing the nobleman's son, to healing the lame man, to feeding the 5,000 or the multitude, when he walks on the water and stills the storms, when he heals the blind man or raises Lazarus from the dead or when he allows Peter to catch the multitude of fish, the 153 fish there on the Sea of Galilee, all of those are recorded not to just fill the pages, not to sell a book. They were for a divine spiritual reason so that those recipients of this letter in those days and even today, as we look at the Word of God, would come to a place where 
we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, we would have life. Now, do we have life today? Do you have life? It's important for us to know whether we have life. And so, John wants his listeners, his hearers, to have life. And that's why Christ came. is So that every one of us could experience life. And so when you start thinking about the family living in the light of eternity, whether it's your family or whether it's the Redland family. You have an objective as a family and as a church. And that objective is that your family is to have life, but this church is to be faithful in declaring the gospel, the good news, helping this community know how they can experience life. It has been said that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But the tragedy of it is we are a fallen people. Paul made it very clear that we should understand that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Paul said in Ephesians 2 that we were dead in trespasses and sin. And so as much as John wrote about those miracles that happened in that day so that they would believe, we need a miracle today too. But the miracle that we need is the miracle worker that John writes about in the gospel. Jesus Christ. And yet, how tragically today we have been led to believe that life is in other things. That is why in the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, Solomon said, though a man that was endowed with wisdom, but yet the same man that rejected that wisdom and came to one of the biggest fools, He said, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. He understood that the heart was the, more than just the seat of emotions. It was who we are and who we will ever be. And so he, that's why he says, guard your heart. And so as much as Solomon was thinking about us guarding our hearts, And as much as Jeremiah was talking about the twistedness of the human heart, and as much as Paul was talking about how we were dead in trespasses and sin, those men understood. Jeremiah and Solomon understood that there was coming a greater day. Everything in the Old Testament was pointing to a future event when Messiah would come and be born. The hope of the world. And now John writes about that. That's why John reminds us 
there. That in him was life. And the life was the light of men. Now I want to back up for just a minute and make a connection here. What you find in verse 1 there where it says, In the beginning was the word. That is not far removed from what we read in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. But John helps us to understand something here. Is that Jesus Christ was eternally pre-existent. There was never a time when Christ was created because he is created from the very beginning. Why? Well, discover in this passage, he was God. So there was no beginning time for Jesus, in a sense. Jesus is eternally pre-existent. But it says there, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was in an eternal relationship with His Father in eternity past. There was never a moment, folks, where Jesus was not face-to-face with His Father. And that's, a, that's what He's declaring there. And the Word was with God. Thank you for this for just a moment. Every, if there was a morning in heaven, Every morning as the Son of God would rise, He was looking at His Father in His face. That Father, that face of purity and righteousness and holiness and and love and compassion. Jesus had fellowship with His Father every day, every evening, every night. But I don't know that we will deal with night, day, and, and eternity in heaven. But to get the idea there, Jesus was in fellowship with his Father. That is why we must understand, to some degree if we ever can, and I don't know that we ever will be, of the magnitude of his creation and what it cost the Father for his Son to step into eternity, time, present, moment, and take on human flesh and become like we are. Because Jesus was with the Father, in the Father's Fellowship, moment by moment, and then the time came when the son was to be born of a virgin. And there he took on human flesh, which meant that he was going to be out of the presence of his father in the sense that he had known for eternity past. And now he was going to take on human flesh, which meant that he was going to be limited in time and space. And he was going to take on flesh that was corrupt and sinful and that, had been, and that it was fallen. He was going to embody everything, in a sense, except he never sinned. He was going to experience what it meant to scratch his knees. Some people have this idea that Jesus grew up and he probably never bled. He flapped around with wings like eagles, you know, all over, and he he never grew up. No, folks, I want you to understand something. Jesus was a baby. He probably had colic. He probably did fall and skin his knees. And I do know that his brothers and sisters had a problem with him. There was sibling rivalry there. They didn't believe him. They were jealous of him. And that's why as he progressed and lived and grew, and then he was hanging on the cross when Jesus cried out and said, My Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For a moment in time, God forsook God. I don't understand all of that, but for a moment in time, God the Father could not look upon His Son because His Son bore the sins of the world. My sins and your sins. Mine would have been enough to make God blush. And yet, 
the eternal word was with the eternal God, was God. And he says here, and the word was God, he was eternally God. There was never a moment when Jesus all of a sudden became God. He was always God and will always be God. And then it says this, all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. He was eternally the creator. In eternity past, when Moses wrote, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, Jesus was with his Father as the Holy Spirit was, and they were co-creators. They created the heavens and the earth, the plant life and the animal life. They created us, humanity. So therefore, if, G, if, if that matters, and it does matter, if Jesus was preexistent, eternally with the Father, if Jesus was in a relationship with the Father, if Jesus was eternally God, if He is God and was God and will forever be God, and if Jesus was Creator, therefore, therefore, in Him was life. Life began with Him. And that's why that little prepositional phrase there that John begins with, in him, is critical. Because it is a prepositional phrase that is talking about location. It is where we are positioned. I am positioned in Christ today. And that matters. Yes, I'm living and you are living in the world. But I am in Christ in this world. And that has powerful significance when you think about the fact that we are ambassadors for Christ, but that also we are pilgrims in this world. I am an ambassador in the sense that I am here, and though I live as a part of this life, the rules of heaven govern my life, not the rules of this world. That has powerful implications for me today. And so when... I don't want to go here, but I'm going to mention this. So when COVID, when the government says shut it down and you can't worship, there's a higher power that says, hold on. And I'm not talking and preaching civil disobedience, but there are times when we as Christians will not obey our government. And Caesar will never tell me when to worship, how to worship, or where to worship. Now, you may have your own personal conviction about that, I think it is absolutely foolish to me today for us to send missionaries to places like China today or the Middle East. And there our missionaries go and they end up going to prison and are there, are they win people to Jesus who end up going to prison and yet we here in the free world today are cowering down to a government that's pagan? I'm not against people not protecting people's health. I'm sick. Got leukemia. Been battling it for several years. Take chemo every day of my life. So I'm not being foolish. But there's some things that's more important to me than just my health. My relationship with Christ has powerful implications on what I do every day. So, therefore, in him was life. I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you in him right there? Are you in Christ? Are you in a relationship with Christ as Christ was with the Father and is with the Father? Do you know Jesus Christ today as your personal Lord 
and snake. Um, when I retired in December, three brothers asked me, they said, uh, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to go to Mexico and preach, and I'm going to go to Guatemala and preach and teach. I was pastors and train some pastors there. And they said, what are you going to, what you going to do, Brother Billy? I said, well, I don't know why. They said, well, we want you to come and be our chaplain. So uh, I'm chaplain for about 55 men and women at Columbus Fire and Safety in Columbus, Georgia. I go there Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I counsel with them, and I talk with them, and I'm a sounding board to them. I just let them sort of unload on me and tell me how beautiful life is or how life just really stinks and, uh, and talk to me about life. And so, and so it gives me an opportunity to engage in conversation with people that know the Lord. Some don't know the Lord. Some want to do everything they can to avoid me. <laughs> but I'm, I'm like a bloodhound. I'll sniff you out. I'm coming for you. I'm going to come for you. But uh, so several weeks ago, the, 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 uh, one of the brothers said, Brother, do you mind going to see some of our customers? I said, no, I'll be glad to. So I was on Victory Drive. Um, and I stopped at this Burger King, who was one of our customers, and I went in. And I just uh, asked to see the manager. Uh, and uh, so they were in the process of getting the manager for me. And this guy came in, big old, huge guy, sort of about that, you know, Robert, that huge guy, like Moses Robert mentioned a moment ago. Robert Moses mentioned a long ago. This guy walked up and I said, good morning, how are you? And he says, yeah, he says, just, just right out of the room, he says, well, if you can tell me something good, it'll be a good day. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I just, boy, you know, you sort of pause for a moment. You have to pause and say, should I say this? I did pause. And I said, um, well, yeah. I said, you know what? I said, Jesus loves you. You would have thought I took a brick bat and hit that guy in the head because he looked at me like, what? I mean, he did. He, he, I, I caught him about absolute total surprise. This guy was literally just awestruck. And he said, sir, That's a powerful statement, and you're right. And I could tell, man, it just it hit him in the gut. And he looked at me, and he, I could tell he wanted to say something, but he didn't say it. But he did say, that is a powerful statement. And so the manager came out. I spoke to the manager, did my thing, and they left. And I turned to the gentleman. He was waiting on his meal. And I said, sir, what about you? Do you know that Jesus loves you? And then with just a stillness in his voice, he said, sir, maybe another day. In him, was life. Twenty-seven times, no, thirty-seven times, John uses the word life. He is not talking about physical life, though it can be used that way. He's not talking about just biological life, but he uses the word zoe, is talking about spiritual life, a different kind of life, 
life that is different than biological life and life that's different than just physical life. Now, I know this morning that everybody here has physical life. And the reason I can say that is because you're sitting up and your eyes are open and you're giving some indication this morning that you have life. And, and that's good to be in touch with the physical world. Nothing wrong with that at all. But are we in touch with a spiritual world? And see, that's, the ma- that's what matters about family today, about your family and about this family. I don't know what your mission purpose is, but I can imagine that, that in that mission purpose that you have as a church, there is something about the gospel in it. And the reason this church exists and the reason church exists today, uh, yes, we exist to worship God, but yet we also exist to be faithful in sharing the gospel, to tell the gospel, to live the gospel, to share the gospel, to sing the gospel, to pray the gospel. The gospel is what defines us, or at least it should. And this, this... Beautiful facility here and this complex here on this road, on Dozier Road here, is a testimony or should be a testimony. Every day when people drive by on Dozier Road here, that something is happening here that deals with the gospel. That this church exists because of the gospel. And your earthly family, your Small family should exist. Um, uh, the older I get, the more I think about family and why I'm more grateful every day for what God did in my life as a 14-year-old teenager, how I'm grateful for Robert Dismuke sharing the gospel with me and how I came to faith in Christ in May of 1969, the youth revival. But even so, more appreciative of the fact of why the church exists. And, and let me tell you as a father, to a father, a grandfather of the day, and to you as parents, as a parent, to a parents, this is what I think about. If you don't know Psalm 78, get familiar with it, because it's a writing of the son of Asaph, and he says this in verse 5, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare to them their children. Now listen to this, that they might set their hope in God. But keep his commandments. I wish I'd have understood that as a father years ago. Uh, you know, I don't know if I've been a great father or a good father or a bad father. I know I've been a bad father in some ways. Because I, 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 though I taught my daughter Melody and I taught our son Jonathan to set their hope in God, Sometimes the priorities of my life didn't dictate that. Bryce knows what I mean. 
You know, you, you got to be a little bit wiser than what I was years ago. Because sometimes, I, I, you know, church is important. Worship is important. Don't ever, don't ever think it's not. Bible study is important. Deacons meetings are important. Finance committee meetings are important. Stewardship meetings are important. All of those things are important in the life of the church. But do you know sometimes we as a church can be so blooming busy that we miss the point of helping each other set our hope in God? We confuse sometimes the busyness of the church to setting our hope in God and knowing Him. And there is a difference there. There's a difference. Family living in the light of eternity. Let me uh, sort of do something very quickly because I'm out of time. I want you to think of the foundation this morning of the family. That's one thought. The foundation of the family. The second thing I thought is this, the focus of the family. That's the second point. And then the last is the fruit of the family. And here's my, here's my thought on that. The foundation of the family is this. In him was life. In him. That's why it's important for you dads to do what Jesus said when he was asked in Matthew 22, 36 through 38. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. There is nothing more important for us to teach our sons and our daughters and our grandchildren than to love God supremely, to love him passionately, to love him personally. I love what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 when he says, oh, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering that I might be conformed to the likeness of his death. Paul was just, he was literally consumed with a passion in his life to know Christ and Christ alone. We must plunge into the depths of God's grace in Christ and discover there a life, a zoe, a different kind of life than we'll ever know in this life. It is in Christ that we find the ultimate source of life, but it is in Christ that we find the ultimate satisfaction in life. And Jesus understood that. That's why he said in Mark 19, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in, choke the word, making it unfruitful. He understood that, and that's why he said that. Because he knew that in the propensity of the heart of Billy Duncan, there was that capacity to become consumed with the worries of this life. To be consumed and be misled by the deceitfulness of wealth. To think that the more toys that I have, the happier I'm going to be. Or to come to the place in life where you're worrying more about your health. There's nothing wrong with being a healthy person, but, but to be consumed with your health, where you're afraid and fearful that I, if I breathe this or if I take this or if I go out here and do that, something, I'm going to get something and I'm going to die. Is that really bad? 
for us who know him. And please don't ever think I'm, I know somebody say, oh my goodness, he's having suicidal thoughts. We better get him to the doctor. <laughs> no, uh, you know, that's a, that's a healthy thought. I want to be with him. And I'm not saying that because I'm all spiritual. I'm just saying that if, you, if, the, if the Bible means what it says, then. And so the foundation of the family is in him was life. And that's why dad, you have to make it a priority now to know him, to love him, to walk with him. To have a passion for him. To live your life in a way that matters. To model in your life as men what a man looks like and what a man is. We, listen, I know, the, I know the world is coloring out of the box right now. But listen, I know that world is confused about what family is and what men are and what women are. Listen, God's word is not confusing. There is no debate in heaven today about what a man is and about what a woman is. God created them. And that's why he said in Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone. And I will make a helpmate suitable for him. So, in him was life. That's the foundation of your family. But also, the focus of the family is this. In him was life and the life. What? Living in the light. That's life. Light in the Bible is contrasted with darkness. As a matter of fact, if you look at the word light and you think about it and look how many times it is used in the Gospel of John and then in 1 John, you would almost come away with that and say, hold on, John uses this word light more than any other biblical writer, and he does. It's almost as though it's one of John's terms, and I believe it is. Light was always a mark of truth, spoke of truth, of righteousness. And so when you think about the foundation of the family and the fact that we are in him was life, and you think about what is going to be the focus of our family, it's going to be living in the light. The family living in the light. Why? Because we have life which means that we do make decisions like you have on a little placard out there at your welcome desk, what this church is going to be part of and what you're going to do and what you're committed to do in a practical way over the coming months and year. That you will not allow social media to drive you. I have a, this is a joke. I won't tell it. Uh, I have had a flip phone for many, 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 many years. A flip phone. And I swore to the good Lord I would never own a smartphone. I put that down almost in blood. I did. And the reason is because as a pastor, starting not many, many years ago, uh, I sat in my office and counseled with men and women and families and husbands and wives and they would come in my office and sit down and unload on me and talk about their marriage and about their family and what was going on in it, good and bad. And one of the things I discovered that there was a, that the, that the, the issues with it were in the families that I was counseling with at that time, there was a common denominator. 
And you want to know what it was? Social media. How many men I dealt with and talked with who had gotten addicted to pornography because of social media? People's hearts that had been wounded and crushed because somebody on social media just couldn't discipline their lips. And they would say things that were ungodly that would just wound people deeply. And these were people in the church. Now, I was counseling people outside of the church who were lost, who was coming to me on recommendations, but it was amazing to me. And I just said, man, I, and so I never got on Facebook. Not on Facebook to this day. And I said, I'll never have a smartphone. First of all, I'm not smart enough to use it. But I'm going to hang on to this old, old flip phone. Well, Friday was a week ago. Something happened to my flip phone. I mean, it died. Gave up the ghost. Squealed and hollered and just, I couldn't charge it. I couldn't do anything. And I lost all of my numbers, all of my numbers. And, of course, I had no phone at the house. I I do use uh, email. But, boy, I was lost. And I went to this place to get them to fix my phone, and they said, sorry, sir, we can't do this. I said, well, just take the SIM card out and put in this phone here. Well, we don't do that, sir. It doesn't save to the, to, to the SIM card. And I, I said, young lady, how old are you? She said, I'm 22. I said, you are? Well, I said, let me tell you something. Before your time, I was told that this thing here and these computers here were going to make life easier for me, and I'm telling you, it has wrecked my life. I told her that. She looked at me and smiling and said, well, I want you to know it. Man, it's great for me. I love it. Boy, I wanted to punch her. No, I wouldn't wouldn't do that to a young lady. But I just, I couldn't believe this was coming from a 22. I wanted to say, are you really smart? Have have you lost your level of mind? But, um, folks, I, I say that today, that the focus of the family is going to be living in the light which means that you're going to be living in the truth. You're going to be living in righteousness. In him was life and the life, his life, the life, is going to influence the decisions that we make as a family, where we will invest our time. There's nothing wrong with soccer. There's nothing wrong with baseball. There's nothing wrong with football. All those things are all moral but we as Christian families have to make a decision about where are, we going, where are we going to invest our lives. How are we going to make a difference in our culture? And so while we live life in a practical way, how we use social media does matter. What we say on the internet does matter. How we invest our lives and in pouring our lives into our children does matter. So the focus of our family is going to lead us to bear fruit. And what is the fruit of the family going to be? Well, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. In other words, the fruit of the family, if I understand, was the light of men. Because I am in life, and I'm living truth, and I'm giving allegiance to truth, my life is going to become a light of men. To other men. And that's exactly what Jesus said. He said, You are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. And our lives, our families, our church needs to be the light 
of men. The family living in the light of eternity. Eternity does matter. And your life does matter. And there's some young men sitting in here today, and some children sitting in here today, and you know, you young people, just listen. When I was 14 years old, uh, that's when God began to work in my move in my life as a teenager. And what God did in my heart and began to do in my life has impacted my life for the rest of my life. I mean, when, when, when I surrendered my life to Christ as a 14-year-old boy, I never really understood what the gospel was going to do for me and how it was going to alter me in my thinking. Now, did it make me all that I needed to be at the moment? No, I had to grow in grace. Did I deal with temptation? Yes, I had temptations every day of my life as a teenager. As an adult, as a father, as a grandfather. But young people, listen. The Bible says in John 3.16, a verse that you've heard many times, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus Christ came to give you life. And I want you to understand that there is a life beyond this life. It's more precious than this life. I know that's hard for us to imagine. It really is hard for us to get our minds around because we, have, we live only in this time and space. And that's okay. But young men, young ladies, today can be the beginning of a new day for you. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, if you've never given your heart to him, if you've never let Jesus be your Lord and Savior, it can begin right here in this room today. How? Well, Peter was asked that same question years ago when he got through preaching the first apostolic message in Acts chapter 2. He was asked, what must we do? And Peter just simply said, repent, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent, believe. So how do I come to faith in Christ? Well, it's more than just mental assent. It's the commitment of one's life. You've got to be all in. But it is repenting. It is allowing the Holy Spirit through the power of the word to change the direction of our life. That is repentance. Repentance means to change direction. You may be a good person like I was. As a 14-year-old boy, I was a moralist. I never drank, never smoked, never done anything. I was a moralist. All I knew was love football and love basketball. That's all that mattered to me. I, didn't, I wasn't even interested in girls at that time. I was just interested in basketball. I could have married a football or basketball and I'd have been content in life. That was the passion of my heart. I remember walking to school. Yes, I did live close to Beauregard School. My mother still lives there today. My daddy's deceased, but mother still lives there. And I walked into school one morning, and I was thinking about, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do this. I was arrogant as a rascal. And I was thinking how good I was. And God's Spirit began to deal with me. This was in the, in the spring of 1969. It was then that I began to really become aware of the lostness of my life. 
So what must I do? Repent and believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has died on the cross in your place so that every sin you've ever committed can be forever forgiven, washed away. Many of us today are believers. But it may be that we just need to make a fresh commitment of our life today. We may need to say, Lord, I've dabbled around long enough. I need to make the next few years of my life meaningful, countable, worth something. I need to make an impact on my life, with my life and people's lives. And so that's one of the reasons why even now, at the age of 68, I meet with a young man and other young men through the week, discipling them. Not because I'm smart, it's because I want to leave with the next generation a legacy of faith. Help them to walk with God, to love the Lord. And ladies, men, families, your family matters. And as you begin to think about your family living in light of eternity, it has to begin with each one of us individually and then corporately as a family. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Heavenly Father, you know the spiritual needs today of this dear church. And as Brother Bryce stands here with open arms to receive anyone that may have a decision to make, I ask you, Lord, today to guide this time together. Lord Jesus, we do love you today. We thank you for loving us. And I pray, Lord, if there's a father here today that's never trusted you that this morning, he will make a commitment. For that young person, that young man, young lady, that may be wrestling with their commitment to Christ, help them to nail it down today. For that family that maybe just needs to come today and make Redland a part of their life and join this church, I pray that you'll Help them to do that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. him in his presence daily live I surrender all I surrender all all to thee my blessed Savior I surrender